Welcome to Self-Care Hacks, the short podcast for overwhelmed and stressed out women who want to learn how to take better care of themselves. I'm your host, Anita Ojeda. I used to suffer from overwhelm and stress too, but I've learned how to take care of myself and take care of others. You can too. Today's guest is Michelle Morin, a mother and a wife and a grandma and also a prolific reader and blogger. And that's where I met her through blogging. I'm not sure how or where, but probably on somebody's link up somewhere. Yeah, probably. Maybe yours. It could have been. <laughs> or you linked up with someone I knew and I linked up next to you. And yeah, that's how people happened. Yeah, that's how people meet nowadays, right? Yeah, that's right. And what's the name of your blog? Living Our Days. What do you write about mostly? I've done a lot of book reviews. And okay. that, that for a long time was basically what all that I did. And I've started branching more into doing devotionals and just, um, I guess you'd call them reflective essays, uh-huh. branching off from things that are happening here in my real life and trying to make application to helpful truth that will help other people, you know, just taking the truth that I know and saying it out loud. You homeschooled your boys, right? Yeah. All four boys for 12 years apiece. So Wow. Yeah. It took 21 years of my life. (laughs) That's amazing. Four or five years ago, you wrote a guest post on um, the blog that I hardly ever go to anymore called Blessed But Stressed. And it was for November's National Family Caregivers Month, and you wrote about the new mommy guilt. So I'm curious, what is the new mommy guilt? Well, I love that title, and that was entirely your idea. That was such a good title. What I was writing about was my mother coming to live with us here in our home. Mm -hmm. You'd mentioned my homeschooling the boys. And for years and years, I used to say that was the hardest thing I'd ever done is homeschooling those boys and, you know, showing up every day and doing those spelling tests every week and all that. But then mom moved in with us. And all of a sudden I realized, no, homeschooling was not the hardest thing I've ever done. It was having her here because it was just, it just turned out to be a really hard adjustment having her here. And a lot of the things that happened were just complete surprises to me. I never really expected to have conflict with her or any of the things that happened that were surprises were complete surprises. But then she was with us for five years. The article that I wrote for your blog back then was talking about that transition of her moving out of our home and into an assisted living facility because her health deteriorated rapidly and Mm -hmm. precipitously and it was no longer safe for her to be in our home. And that was so hard. I never expected that transition to be so hard, but that by far was more difficult. I, I wish I could have just kept her here, you know, it, right. and so for the longest time, I think I started the blog post just talking about how I would hear her feet on the stairs long after she had moved out, because I was always listening, 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 is she going to be okay? Is she going to make it up the stairs? Is she going to be fine? So it was kind of a, a, a journey of perpetually more responsibility, you know, more advocacy mm-hmm. um, all the time for her. A lot of the same emotions that you have about your kids, you have about your parent when you're in charge of them. Like, for instance, she didn't really behave any better in the nursing home than she did when she was here. And so I was constantly getting calls from the administrator. Can you talk to your mother? Can you explain to her that she can't, you know, fill in the blank, do whatever it was. There was never any 
boundary that she didn't push, it seemed like. And so, you know, I wanted to just say to that poor woman, you know, I will try to help you, but she didn't behave very well for me either. So, you know, there's not a whole lot I can do. But anyway, I tried to talk to to mom Mm -hmm. about did she have yeah. dementia or Alzheimer's? I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope that's what it was. You know, I never could figure really out how much was still mom and how much was things going south mentally. Uh-huh. But it felt like I, I didn't have my kids in public school very much. But I, I imagine that feeling like getting a call from the principal. Right. You know, on a bad kid that's right. misbehaved. Can you do something right. about your kid? And that's exactly how it must feel, you know, right. that happened. And, and it, was, it was this helplessness of, you know, wanting, like I had been a bad daughter because I hadn't trained my mother properly to go into a nursing home. So wow. you, you know how we internalize everything. We take the blame for everything ourselves as if we had control of the universe. Right. And, and people put us in that position. I don't know that they mean to, but a nursing home calling and saying, you know, could you talk to your mom? She's done this. Oh, <laughs> right. You know, now what? I know it's like, ah, well, we ended up having a good, a good relationship, kind of an eye rolling, like what's she done now kind of relationship. Oh, wow. Worked out okay. Yeah. So you're, what you're saying is that kids nor parents come with instruction manuals for beginning of life and end of life. Right. And we have to wing it. Right. And you just don't even know what to expect. You get this little bundle in your arms when they're born and you don't know what kind of learner they're going to be. You don't know whether their bent is going to be towards being a pleaser or being a defiant kid. And, you know, I, I thought I knew my mother pretty well. I mean, I'd known her my whole life, right. but there were some surprise packages that came along with that. And it wasn't just the aging process. It was conflict. But one thing I think I wish I had been more cognizant of is that whenever there's dysfunction in a family, there's dysfunction in a family. You don't just grow up and everybody's fine. It's not a Hallmark movie where, you know, the relationship has been unusual for 40 plus years. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're having tea at two o'clock every afternoon together and, and confiding in one another. And all of a sudden you get one another and, and it's this wonderful thing just because you have the same address now. Right. And I think I may have had that unrealistic expectation that, uh-huh. that this was going to fix everything. If I can just do this one heroic thing and bring her into our home and say yes to this request of hers, then it will just be magical and wonderful. And we'll have this gorgeous, happy ending with a ribbon on it. And they all lived happily ever after. We have to be careful with our expectations when we have a parent come live with us or when we take on the the role of caring for them, whether they're in a facility or in their own home and just need more help. We have to realize that if things have been a certain way, they're probably going to continue being a certain way. Right. And it won't resolve the issue unless there's some sort of outside intervention, like if they agree to go to counseling with you. And I think Christians tend to tend to practice a sort of magical thinking. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I just read something recently that absolutely stopped me in my tracks from J.I. Packer. In fact, I copied it into my journal. I've got it right here. He said, it does not follow that right guidance will be vindicated by a trouble-free course thereafter, because it's really tempting to look back on that experience and say, what in the world were we doing? Surely we got the wrong message from God that we should never have had that woman in our house in the first place because it was a nightmare and it didn't go well at all. And he said, trouble is not necessarily a sign of being off track. He cited Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. You know, we have it in our heads that if we're following the Lord 
and we're in this uh, quote-unquote center of his will and it's going to be smooth sailing and that's how we know that we're in the center of his will because everything goes great fantastic right but that's not necessarily the case because there's a certain degree of for lack of a better word i think suffering that has mm-hmm. to happen in our lives in order to refine us to become who god wants us to be and sometimes he uses these completely off course things that, that blindside us to show us what we're made of because I wasn't very happy with what I learned about myself having mom in the house. I've always known I'm impatient, but you know, I, I really saw it, you know, when she was here and maybe I hold grudges or maybe I'm too sensitive about things or, you know, fill in the blank. I have a whole long list of things that I learned about myself that are not terribly flattering. And it's good for us to have that mirror held up to us to see who we really are. It's not comfortable, but it's good. Right. It's part of our sanctification process. And so when I read that in Knowing God by J.I. Packer, I was like, boy, that sure applies to my situation with mom. Did you experience caregiver stress while she was living with you and after she went into the nursing home? I did. And I gained weight as a result. I'm still trying to get it off which, you know, that's one of the things that happens. I think because I was trying so hard to make things work, plus I was homeschooling for kids for some of the time when she was here. Right. Our two older boys were teenagers. So I would have the same arguments with them, boundaries, constantly setting right. boundaries, right. you know, curfews. And, and you know, she was wanting to play loud music, loud movies at three o'clock in the morning that would wake the whole family up. And I had just gotten to bed because the teenager had gotten in at midnight or, you know, whatever. So it was just a really crazy time in life. Wow. So I'm not, I guess I can't really say how, what percent of the stress was because mom was here, but it was, it was a stressful time for sure. That would be a challenge. I'm with you on the weight gain thing. It's really hard when you're caregiving, not to numb yourself with food. Isn't it awful how we self-medicate? It is. It's not that we self-medicate in lieu of prayer because I did a lot of that. It's just, you have this hunger and God is providing in all kinds of amazing ways and he's helping you, but you just eat and you're not exercising the same and your schedule is all off kilter and it does make it really hard. I think whatever weakness you have in your life, when you get under stress, it's what caves. It manifests itself even more so when you're stressed. Right. Once she moved into a facility, you dealt with guilt for having put her there, right? Yes. And she really didn't want to be there. I'm so thankful that we didn't have a pandemic going on oh, wow. <laughs> while she was there. I never could have gotten her to understand that I couldn't come see her, you know, right. that, that was the thing. And I tried to be very regimented about getting myself in there uh-huh. um, to visit. The, the visits were just hard because she was right. so unhappy. So it was hard to go in and just see her being so unhappy. And she really didn't want to make it any better in a way. She wouldn't make friends. She wouldn't participate in any activities and she wouldn't take a shower for them either. I did get in to see her and I, I felt better about her being there because she was safe. You know, that was one thing that I kept coming. If you just keep coming back to truth, that's the thing that helped me. I am fortunate. I have a good husband who is more rational than I am when it comes to family things. He kept coming back to that for me, reminding me, well, you know, would you rather she fell and broke her hip? Would you rather she hurt herself? Her vision was going in her her mobility issues were just getting worse and worse. She used to cry when she was climbing the stairs. I don't know whether it was fear or whether it was pain or, I mean, it was 
black and white decisions to do. Right. But, you know, it's never as simple as black and white, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's black and white to, to some people, but other people in whatever place they are mentally, it's not black and white to them. And right. And they don't understand. There's a, a part of our brain I think it's the frontal lobe that develops last. They say adolescents and young adults, it doesn't develop fully until they're 24, 25, 26. Right. And it's also the first to go. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yes, it's the first to go. And so elderly people will become less and less rational because that part of their brain is undeveloping or forgetting what it's learned. So that's why I felt like I had an extra teenager in the house. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy caring for a parent when they act like your teenager because you still feel I'm the child and you're the parent and you should know better. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's true. And that that adds its own little layer of guilt. And I'm... the other thing that I wish I had done differently during that time is that even though I had her here and even though it was a stressful time in my family as far as you know the ages of my kids I don't really remember cutting anything back at all. I don't uh, remember saying to anybody, well, no, I can't do that. I'm tied right up with my mother or I'm, I'm busy, you know, doing this or that. I don't remember saying that to anybody. Right. I still, I think, have a tendency to add and add and add and never subtract. Right. I think, I think when we're taking on a caregiver role, the thing we have to do is make room for it in our lives. We have to just acknowledge I'm adding something here. And right, this is a big right. thing and, and everybody has to understand. And I read something recently. It's, it's so true. If someone is not disappointed with you, then you probably need to check your boundaries. Wow. That's powerful. Because I didn't want to disappoint anybody, you know, and right. I have this tendency. I don't know if you know about the Enneagram or not, but I'm a three on uh -huh. the Enneagram. And so we're like constantly checking our image and all that sort of thing. So I wanted to be seen as somebody who could handle it. You know, right. it's, it's not a flattering thing about myself, but, you know, I didn't want to admit that I couldn't take on one more thing. I should have done some subtraction of something somewhere along the way. And I think I did a lot better job of that when my kids were little, because I can remember keeping lists of things that I had said yes to. I was very intentional about it. So that if somebody uh -huh. called me and said, can you do this? I would look at the list and say, well, no, I don't have the margin for that. Or I'm doing this, 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 and this, so I can't do a number four thing. But of course, by the time you're in your late forties, you're the one making the phone calls and trying to get people to do things. So you're in a different position. Exactly. <laughs> That's one mistake that I, I feel like I made that would have, if I had handled that aspect better, things might've gone more smoothly here. A takeaway for people listening would be that when you get thrown into a caregiver role, we don't usually, you know, volunteer and say, yeah, I'll take care of you full time. It's because they're family and they have a need and we're, right. the, we're the, the best person to fill it. But we do need to, at that point, when we say yes to caregiving, then we have to make conscious decisions about all the things we have to say no to. Right. And if we right. don't do that, then what we're really doing is we're saying no to ourselves. We're saying, you know, everything else is more important than taking care of me. And that's mm -hmm. how we get worn down and stressed out and burnt out. Right. And it's almost a blasphemous thing that we do because we're trying to be God. You know, mm -hmm. he's the only one that has no limits and that, that doesn't need to worry about boundaries and that that is sovereign and omnipotent and, you know, all those things that we wish we were. 
And it's, it's a creaturely kind of respect to honor and acknowledge who we are, who we've been created to be. We have limits. Right. We weren't created to be God. Right. At any point, did you go to any sort of support group or did you have a group of friends from church who were kind of going through the same thing that you were taking on a caregiving role for a parent? Or was that not available to you? Or did you not even think of it? Because I know when uh, my husband had cancer, there were no cancer support groups for family caregivers in my area. But I didn't think of starting one or reaching out and trying to find other people. There wasn't anything that I knew of. When my kids were young and young teenagers, I hung out with some of the moms at church. But as you know, once you start having kids that have their licenses, you don't even do that much anymore. So I think it was kind of a lonely time, but I was thankful for the friends that I did have that were aware that I was, you know, under a a little bit of pressure and, you know, were sensitive about it. Now you've been a stay-at-home mom, right? You've had a career of raising children and homeschooling them. So do you find that that opened you up throughout your life for people thinking, oh, Michelle doesn't do anything. We'll ask her to do this. Yeah, there is that. And, you know, to be completely fair about it, I probably feed that too, just by, because I want to help, you know, I want to be able to do things. There is that mentality. And even now, like my youngest son graduated from high school in the spring. And so I technically am an empty nester, but I'm still pretty busy. Yes. (laughs) With family things. Exactly. Now, do your kids all still live close by? Three of them do. Nice. Yeah, the three of them live fairly locally. I've got one out in Colorado, and I live in Maine, so that's okay. That's a long ways away. That is know. quite a ways away. So, has COVID really messed with you guys, or have you still been able to see each other? Well, we do see each other. We all go to the same church, so we see each other at least once a week. Nice. And right. one of my sons, who lives, who who has moved out, actually lives next door to us. So I lost a a son and gained a neighbor. Do you have any other last minute gems of advice for people who are caring for family members, especially parents? The thing I'd like to say at the end is just to, to not let regrets be what forms your future, to focus on what you've done that you were pleased with Mm -hmm. and take grace for the things that you weren't happy about try to remember your loved one in a positive way. If there have been good moments, good memories of shared laughter or characteristics that were endearing, try to focus on them because we sort of become our worst selves as if we age in a way that's that's unhappy, you know. We become more and more of all the negative things that we were sometimes. And that's a, that's a lesson for us in our age group, Anita, that, you know, we don't want to let that happen. If we exactly. Maintain an awareness of who we're becoming because we're changing all the time. Right. And it, isn't it C.S. Lewis who said that hell is populated by people who have become their full blown, whatever they were when they were on the earth. If they were a gossip, all the good is gone and they've just become a gossip. You know, we want to make sure that we're very careful to not keep becoming more and more of our bad traits, but um, you know, just remembering that we tried to serve mom. Well, you know, we tried, it was a, it was a positive thing for our boys to see that we were choosing to honor and respect her, even at her point in life, you're communicating that to the next generation. And that's, that's a positive thing. Right. And, and needed too. We need, right. we need positive role models uh, right. for our and children. Just to, 
to be around people that are in that generation because there is a tendency to want to hide our elderly, you know, right. you get to know them when they're in your home and it's an educational process for everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today and for talking about the new mommy guilt. Guilt, I think, is the shenanigans of the devil who wants to keep whispering in our ears and and giving us reasons to be guilty when God is saying, you know, my grace is sufficient. You grew through this situation and you recognize things in yourself and about yourself that have made you a better person. So there's nothing to feel guilty for. Right. Even for this, there's grace. That's right. Thank you so much, Michelle. It was great to talk to you and to see you in Zoom life. Is that a, is that right. a new term now? <laughs> yeah, it was nice to see you, Anita. All right. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again sometime. The 10 hacks for family caregivers trying to deal with the new mommy guilt are these. Number one, babies and aging parents don't come with instruction manuals. You'll make mistakes. Hack number two, don't set unrealistic expectations. If your relationship with your parent hasn't been healthy, don't expect changes just because you're living together now. Hack number three, expect that your parent's personality and reasoning skills will change as they age. Hack number four, Just because things are hard doesn't mean you're doing something outside of God's will. Hack number five, allow God to work in you and teach you things about yourself during the caregiving process. Hack number six, have someone help you make the decision who can look at it rationally if you need to put your parent into an assisted care facility. Hack number seven, as people age, they start to lose function in their frontal lobe which means their behavior might seem more like that of a teenager or a child. Try not to get frustrated. Hack number eight, when you say yes to caregiving, you have to say no to other things and not feel guilty for saying no. Hack number nine, have a learner's heart. Hack number 10, give yourself grace. Next week's guest in this series, Self-Care Hacks for Caregivers, will be Mary Geisen a blogger and author who took care of her father during his final years. Take care of yourselves, my friends. You are worth it. You can find me at selfcarehacks.net or check out the show notes for links to my social media accounts. If you enjoyed this podcast, take the time to tell a friend. Together we can build each other up and teach each other how to take better care of ourselves. I'll see you here next Tuesday with more self-care hacks to help you overcome the overwhelm.